This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I'm launching a new website, transformativeprinciple.com. You can go there to learn about and join the mastermind. And also, you can go there to learn how to get positive press for your school. What's better than you telling your story all the time? Getting other credible third parties to tell your story for you. Go to transformativeprinciple.com. Once again, that's transformativeprinciple.com. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have my good friend, James Anderson, back on the program. Last time we talked uh, when he was here, it was in episode 351. And so it's been a while and I'm excited to have James back here with us. We talked then about learner agency. And James, if you don't remember, he's an educator, author, speaker, a master of mindset work. So today we're going to talk about something new. James, welcome to Transformative Principle. Thank you, Jethro. It's a pleasure to be here. Episode 300 and what was it? God. 351. Yeah. It's 351. Yeah. Nearly, uh, as of right now, this is probably going to be episode 455, so 100 episodes ago. Let's keep going every 100 episodes. We'll redo it. That's one. right, man. <laughs> that sounds good. Let's do it. So we're going to talk about this new term that people probably aren't familiar with called learnership. So tell us what learnership is. Yeah, well, learnership is an idea that I've um, coined. It's uh, We spent a lot of time, a lot of money investing in teacher professional learning over the last 10 or 15 years. We've heard about John Hattie's work, about what teachers mm-hmm. need to do in classrooms and all that side of things. And we're, we're really, really skillful teachers. But... You know, I meet a lot of teachers that spend ages and ages carefully crafting formative feedback and they give it to students who ignore it. And they, the teachers spend time carefully working out how to challenge students appropriately and then students say, can I have something easier, please? And so while teachers have been engaging in the teaching process very, very skillfully, learners haven't always been holding up their end of the bargain. And so what learnership is about is about teaching the skill of learning, helping students engage in the learning process in a way that actually brings about the sort of results that we're looking for. 
Because at the end of the day, those learning outcomes that we're wanting to achieve, those increases in learning outcomes, we won't achieve them until skillful teaching meets skillful learning. That's that's really interesting. Uh, one of the things that I talk a lot about is student-driven learning, where we're putting the onus on the kids because truly, no matter what we do, the kids are responsible for their own learning. And we can try to push them, we can try to cajole them, but it doesn't really matter because they have to choose to accept it. They have to make the choice to do something about it. And it can't just all be on the teachers. So I like the way you're going with this. Yeah. I remember a quote from John Holt. I don't know if you remember John Holt. He's a uh-huh. US educator. Yeah. And he said that um, learning is not the product of teaching. Learning is the, acti- the product of the activity of learners. And you're right, you know, teachers, you know, we sometimes, I like the way you say push or cajole, I some talk about, sometimes talk about it as drag students through the learning process. Yeah. And I think when we talk about, you know, giving students responsibility for their learning, sometimes we do that. We, we, we give students responsibility for their learning, but they're not always sure about what to do with that responsibility. Uh, we don't talk about learning as a skillful process. We don't talk about what the skills are. And so when I talk about learnership, I look at these five broad areas of learning, which is about how you respond to challenge. So whether you avoid challenges altogether right the way through to whether or not you embrace challenges. About how you engage in what I call habits of mind, your learning behaviours. And some learners have no idea of what learning behaviours they're engaging in, whereas skillful learners go about cultivating those habits of mind because they give them the opportunity to grow. We talk about the information you get from learning, from mistakes and feedback, where some kids will just ignore mistakes and feedback. Others um, design mistakes to give them information like a scientist does, or we might tailor the feedback. So rather than just waiting for a teacher to say, here's the feedback, the student will come up and say, I've been working on this skill, this piece of my learning. This is what I've been trying to work on in this piece of work. I need feedback on this, please. So they're actually tailoring the information that they want to get back from the teacher. And then we talk about what we often refer to as effort, you know, that very, very vague concept yeah. of just <laughs> pushing harder. And we talk about how rather than how much time and energy you spend. We talk about how the time and energy is spent and how a lot of our students waste a lot of their time completing easy things rather than investing their time actually growing and getting better at things. And so we talk about uh, helping learners identify where their comfort zone is, where their performance zone is, where their learning zone is to get comfortable with that feeling of discomfort that comes with your learning zone. And the whole idea is we have six different types of learners, ranging from a a non-learner through beginning performance, directed, independent, and eventually an agile learner. And as we talk about learnerships, one of the things that, as we started working with students, just helping them understand that there are more skillful ways that they can engage in learning is a really critical point because most students, when you ask them, you know, how do you learn or how do you get better at learning? They'll say things like, I'll try harder. What does that mean? 
but they've got no way to describe how they engage in the learning process. And learnership helps them identify that as a starting point. So I w- you've said some great things that I think are, are worth investigating, but there, I know that we're going to hear concerns from people about, I don't have time to teach the standards. How am I going to find time to teach these things? So what's your response to that? All right, well, there's two responses to that. Uh, the first one is that you're not going to teach the standards if the learners aren't engaging in the learning process. If you're interested in the students actually achieving those learning outcomes, you need to be interested in how they're engaging in the learning process. Secondly, though, none of what I'm talking about should add to your work. You're still going to have a conversation with a student about feedback. You're still going to have the conversation about challenge. It's the way we shape that conversation. So rather than being an extra or an add-on, it just reshapes some of what we already do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that piece right there, that reshaping what we already do is really key because that helps us understand that it's not about starting over from the beginning. It's not about redoing everything that we're doing. It's about us also having those learning skills of learnership, of figuring out what we need to do to improve ourselves and then applying those things little bit by little bit instead of completely changing all at once. Yeah, and can I tell you, when I work with teachers, I often talk, take them through the learnership matrix and the comments that come back initially are, oh my God, I've just realized I'm a performance learner. And a, one of the performance learners are actually below the bar, they're not growing. They're, they're, a performance learner is someone who's constantly doing their best but avoiding stretching and challenging themselves to go beyond their best. And a lot of adults are like that. A lot of adults, we reach a point in life where we're you know, pretty skilled. We, we've got a lot of skills. And um, at that point where we have been spending perhaps up until the age of 30-odd, getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better, we stop getting better and start getting busy And so we use the skills we've already got to do lots of things, but it turns out that we're trading that short-term gratification of completing something, getting something done, you know, signing off at the end of the day saying that class has been taught. We're trading that for the long-term benefit of actually achieving growth. And um, there's a whole lot of research about where regrets come from around that idea that many of us stop. We, We have busy lives, full lives, doing lots of things, but we stop actually challenging ourselves and growing. And when I present this learnership matrix to teachers, they go, oh, God, yeah, man, that's, that's a worry. Yeah, it, it really is because it's easy to see where we are, where we're getting complacent when we actually look and pay attention, but we don't want yeah. to look and pay attention to where we're being complacent. That's not a fun thing to examine most of the time. And look, there's lots of other reasons too. We, I mean, we, we are busy. You know, it, is, it is hard to invest the time in growth, particularly when we get paid to perform. And a lot of schools develop unintentionally, but to their detriment, performance cultures. Um, some schools will even pride themselves. We've got a real performance culture here. Thought, well, no, you don't want a performance culture. You want a growth culture. But we develop this performance culture and then teachers are asked to do, 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 and they do, but they don't get better. One of the questions I often ask um, teachers to try and identify the culture, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, 
most teachers do some sort of annual or biannual planning and they've got to set some goals for improvement. And so you ask teachers, when you're setting those goals, what sort of goals do you set? When you know you're going to come to the meeting in two years' time or a year's time, whenever it is, do you set the goals that you know you're going to be able to tick off or the goals that you might fall a little bit short on but say, look, I, I came a long way? And nearly every teacher says, no, I, I set the goals that I know I can achieve because the most important thing in that meeting is I can go tick, 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 not, oh, I set this really aspirational goal, I didn't quite meet it, I've got to show the tick. And those ticks, the ones that you know straight away that you can do, they come in your comfort and performance zones. The goals that come in your learning zone, the ones that actually provide stretch and challenge, are the goals that you don't immediately know the answer to. And in those meetings, if they're really about growth, not just performance, you should be looking at those goals going, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that or not. Like, how do, you, how do I achieve that? If the answer is immediately apparent, it's in your comfort and performance zones and it's not a growth goal. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> that's, that's really insightful. Um, if you know what you need to do to, to get there, then it's, it's not where you should be. Yeah, that's good. It, well, you know, I think about the, the way that we have created school as a society over several decades, right, is that it has become about performance and about checking things off of a list rather than about actual growth, which is much more uncomfortable, much more harder to measure. I'm sorry, much harder to measure and less performance based, you know? So if one student is working on their own growth thing and other students working on their growth thing, then we can't measure them in the exact same way. So it's not as easy to measure, but I'm sure that there are some ways that we can measure that a little bit easier. What are your suggestions for measuring better when we're looking at growth? Oh, look, there's lots of different ways to, to measure growth. You can use um, improvement scoring as a measure of growth. So rather than measuring where you're up to, measure how much you've changed. Um, I've had schools that have looked at some of the tasks that you do you know, year in, year out, every year in school, particularly secondary school, things like creative writing or science reports or things like that. And what happens to a lot of kids is that we use this rubric and the kids get whatever score they, they get and then they improve, but then we move the rubric. We, they suffer from what I call this moving measuring stick problem. And so whenever they look at what they're being measured against, they're always a C, a C, a C, even though that C has changed. So some of these schools that I work with for those tasks that you use year in, year eight, <coughs> have developed a year seven to year 12, so 12-year-old 12 to 18-year-old um, rubric, not with five levels, with like 20 levels, and say to the year sevens that you're only meant to be down in these bottom three or four levels. In year eight, you get to these ones. Year nine, you get to these ones, and you show change and growth that way. It doesn't always have to be about uh, that sort of assessment-type growth either. From a mindset perspective, and mindset, we've spoken about mindset before, mindset's an important component that, lead, that feeds into learnership. And so just some of the messages that we speak about when we develop mindset nudges, things like saying to kids, this is your current best, this is your standard at the moment, 
just these reminders that whenever you uh, whenever you talk about standards or performances with students, that you attach a timestamp. Because when we say to students, I want to see your best work, some of those kids are going, if that's my best, it never gets better. Like, that's everything I've got. And so just reminding them constantly that where they are today doesn't tell me where you're going to be tomorrow. So this is just your best at the moment. This is where you are right now. Reminds kids. You, you know, what I'm thinking about that, James, is that when we we can handle saying that about standardized test scores, but we don't say that about everyday classroom activities. And and it's I, I like how that's challenging me to think differently about that, that it's it's about including um, that time step that you mentioned that this is where you're at right now. This is your best today. And I've started incorporating some of that into my work with schools around trauma and what what they're experiencing there and recognizing that each day is a new day and kids can start over and that starting over isn't really what I want to say that yesterday you may have been here at this level and tomorrow you'll be at this level but the next day you could go back down to this level and that's okay. The trajectory you want is growth, but that doesn't mean that every single day is going to be better than the previous day. But every day is dependent on your experiences and circumstances that could be holding you back. And from a trauma perspective, that's a very appropriate way to look at it because you have to recognize that some days are worse than others and that's okay. And so you do the best you can that day and then you move on. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. And that's, that's about being comfortable with that discomfort too, that as you move into your learning zone, as you stretch beyond your current best, you can expect your standard to drop. You know, that, that's, that's part of the process, but you work through that process. You focus not just on what you're learning, but focus on how you're learning, and that's part of the habits of mind work. And then that standard goes up a notch, and then you do it again. It's this constant pattern of stretch, correct, repeat, stretch, correct, repeat. As you go beyond your current best, stuff it up as you will, because that's that's what you do when you go beyond your current best. I mean, if you could go beyond your current best, we would call it your best, I think. You know, so <laughs> as you try to go, you get worse. But you respond to the information, you you know, tailor that feedback and you design those mistakes to get the information you need, and you move forward. And over time, there's this sort of wiggly line that progresses upwards. Yeah, yeah. 
So the other piece is having students say like design experiments and design their learning and design feedback or whatever it was that you said there a minute ago. Yeah. That opportunity is pretty cool, but a lot of people would say that's great for motivated uh, students who who are already doing well. But what about those kids who are struggling, who are disengaged from school, don't care about it? How are they ever going to learn those skills because they hate school from the word go? Yeah, look, there's a couple of answers to that question. The first one from a learnership perspective is that you don't go from being a non-learner to being an agile learner. You've got to go through the levels. Um, so you're right, asking the kid that's sitting there not wanting to read your feedback at all to say, tell me what sort of feedback you want from your, that's yeah. not going to work. You've got to go through the levels. But secondly, this idea of unmotivated learners, um, you know, kids that disengage from learning and all the rest of it, I think we're a little bit quick to sort of blame the kid on that one. You know, they're just not engaged and all the rest of it. I remember the impact Daniel Pink's work. I don't know if you know Daniel Pink's yep. work. He wrote a book a number of years ago now called Drive. Yep. Autonomy, and Mastery, and Purpose. About, we talk about it a lot. Don't want to steal your yeah, thunder, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you did. No. <laughs> but no, that's important. The, the things that really motivate people are autonomy, you're right. So having some choice, and that's where we start talking about learner agency and those sort of elements. Um, but the mastery, the sheer experience of achieving growth in itself is motivating. And so when we start teaching these children how to be engaged more effectively in the learning process, they see growth and become motivated. But where they've, you know, they suffer from that learned helplessness, they've failed, they've failed, they've failed, they've failed, and then they just stop trying. And that's not disengagement, that's a perfectly rational action. Right. Like if you know from your own lived experience that you can't do it, then why would you keep trying? And so what we need to do is teach them to engage in the learning process more effectively. I'm reminded, I build a lot of my work on um, Anders Ericsson's work. Um, Anders Ericsson's the expertise expert, the 10,000 hour rule, deliberate practice, those sort of terms. And he said um, in one of his books that he asked the question, you know, 10,000 hours to expertise, who's that motivated? Like, why would you put in that much work? And he said that the thing that motivated those people was not that they loved the hard work. What they loved was the growth. And they understood that the, growth, the hard work was the cost, what was necessary to achieve the growth. Not that they loved the work, but they loved to grow. And there's new work, you know, a couple of years old now, out of McKenzie & Co, where they looked at um, the PISA results out of Europe and Africa and identified one of the key characteristics of learners that achieved. Growth mindset was a part of it, but the better indicator was what they called motivation calibration. And motivation calibration was this idea of a student who not only understood they were capable of growth, but also understood what was required to achieve the growth. And so learners that can say, I can change, but don't know what's involved to achieve the change, tend not to be as motivated. For example, if I said to you, how about 
for the next two hours, you sit down, concentrate, you focus, you're going to work really, really hard for two hours. And at the end of the two hours, I guarantee you, you're not going to have achieved anything at all. You want to spend those two hours? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. And what if I said to you, this is what, and you would then look to me as a disengaged learner. Mm -hmm. What if I said to you, for the next two hours, I want you to concentrate, be focused. And at the end of the two hours, I can guarantee you, you will have achieved your goal. Yeah, I'll do that. Now, if you, yeah, absolutely. When you understand the behaviours that will lead to growth, you can describe them, you know how to engage in them, and you know that that time and energy is going to pay off, you'll see me as a motivated learner. When you're miscalibrated, when you think, oh, I can put all the energy in the world and I'm never going to achieve it, you won't start. Or another mindset issue, if you think that I'm going to do it easier than you, you won't start either. Yeah. Um, so it's unfair. yeah, here's a good example from my own personal life. I really stink at doing household repairs, like putting in a new fan, changing a light fixture. These things take me forever to do. And I've thankfully realized that now that it's not worth my time and energy to try to do it because I get totally frustrated. It takes me an exceedingly long time. I somehow injure myself in the process as well. And so you could say that I'm I'm not interested in learning how to in, do any type of home repairs. And that's the truth. I'm very unmotivated to do that because every time I do, it's a horrible experience. And when I do finally finish it and it looks good, one, I can see all the areas where I made the mistake. And two, I'm proud that I finally accomplished it and did it. But I'm not proud enough that I want to like go do it again. And and compare that to doing this podcast, for example. I see little ways that I can get better at doing it. And I jump at those opportunities and I enjoy it and relish it. Um, and I look for ways to get better. But that doesn't happen with some other things in my life. And I took Woodshop and I enjoyed it then. But I don't think that my teacher thought that I was the most motivated learner because even then I could tell that I just was not, it was just not going to work out for me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's funny because I think it could work out for you. I think that um, given the right instruction, the right processes you go through, you could become very talented at your woodwork. It may have been that in those early days that there were missteps, other people had previous learning that you didn't even recognise. They just came in and their parents had always already taught them how to use a saw or whatever else it was. They came in at a level that made it look easier for them. And I'm always reminded of that, that little catchphrase that it takes a lot of effort to make something look effortless. And some of those kids that made it look effortless to start with had already put the effort in. But when you saw that, oh, they're getting it easy and it's hard for me, you thought it was unfair and you opted out. I could show you now that, no, absolutely, you're, you're quite capable of becoming a talented woodworker or becoming a talented mathematician or an artist or all those sort of things. It's not part of who you are. It's part of what you do. And from a growth mindset perspective, for me personally, I had the same experience as you for music. I saw some kids just making music and I went, oh, that sucks. I'd love to be able to do that, but I'm just not like that. But I understand today that they had a backstory. They'd already done all this work. They'd gone through the beginning phases that I was still going through. They just made it look easier because I hadn't seen them do the hard work. 
And today I understand music of all things, how to become a really talented musician. But today I make the choice not to. Because I know the cost involved, I decide to spend it talking to people like you instead, rather than, you know, because you can't do everything. The time and energy is limited resources. So, but that's the difference between the fixed and growth mindset. Exactly. And that, and that's exactly my point that if I, I, I appear as an unmotivated, disengaged learner, mm. but I know that if I wanted to, I could put the time in and do that. And I have just decided that that's not a worthwhile thing for me to do. And so, yeah. you know, so right now we are renting our house instead of buying a house intentionally because I want to spend my energy getting better at this other stuff and not have to worry about fixing things around the house. And that was, we had just moved and it was an intentional choice. And I think it was the best choice we made because I don't want to put my energies into that. And recognizing that now it's as an adult, it's helpful. I couldn't have articulated that when I was in eighth grade taking a wood shop. And I think that's what's so great about your learnership skills that you're talking about is that we're starting to give kids those that vocabulary and the language to be able to say, I don't want to put in the work for this. And then we can start to understand why they don't want to, and then determine if it's worthwhile to push it or not, but have the language to be able to do that with kids who appear as unmotivated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so your original question was around, you know, how does this work play into those kids that you know, just don't want to? Well, one, some of them become motivated when they see the growth. That, that, that's the first part. They, they see the growth as we help them become better learners. They see the growth and want to pursue it. And others decide fairly that it's not something they want to do. But choosing not to do something because you don't want to and choosing not to do something because you don't believe you can, two really very, very different choices. And so as you develop learnership, you actually free students up, their free will, to make those choices. Whereas a lot of the students that are stuck as you know, beginning learners um, or performance learners that can only do one thing, don't see that they've got the choice. Well, and that's that's really powerful. That's a that's a great idea to think about and roll around in your head for a bit because you kids and adults, we can do anything that we put our minds to, and that's not a platitude. That's an actual real thing. It. it we just have to one. We just have to question whether or not it's worth the time and energy we want to put into it. So, in closing, James, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you or a learner like you? Go find out more about this idea of learnership. So, if you jump over to my website, jamesanderson.com.au/learnership, uh, you can download the learnership matrix. You can have a look at the way different learners engage in those ideas of challenge, habits of mind, mistakes, feedback and effort. And start that journey of questioning what sort of learners do you have in your school? Because alarmingly, you know, when I talk to a lot of teachers in, this, in a lot of parts of the world and uh, we go through a little diagnostic to work out what sort of learners they have in the school, on average, somewhere between 60 and 70% of their learners are what I call below the bar learners. Learners that aren't honestly stretching and challenging themselves. Certainly that don't have control of the learning process. And that's holding back our results. So if you're interested in improving learning results, but also 
can I just tell you, just on a finishing note, <laughs> you talk to a lot of teachers, uh, Jethro. Uh, how many of them are exhausted? Right now, all of them. Yeah. How many of them feel like they're dragging students through the learning process? As we develop learnership in our students, we give teachers back a lot of their time and energy. Mm. Where we were previously dragging through students through the learning process, agile learners, the top most skillful level of learning, re-energise teachers. I was reminded, and perhaps I'll finish on this note, I was reminded of a, uh, something one of my mentors told me years and years ago. She said, James, never work harder than your students. Yeah. And I thought, what a fantastic, and that's not about being lazy. That's about teaching students how to engage in the learning process so that they're not reliant on you to set the challenge, to provide the feedback, to drag them through, that they can take, not just take charge of the learning process, but embrace it in a way that makes them lifelong learners. That's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, James. Just want to remind everybody to go to jamesanderson.com.au slash learnership to learn more about this. And James, thanks again for being part of Transformative Principle. Absolute pleasure, Jeff. I hope we can do it another another 100 episodes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.